I, I entertain myself. You know what I mean? I mean, my wife will say to me, you, you just crack yourself up, don't you? I said, yes, I do. Um, uh, so I, but she's a great laugher, though. She is a fantastic laugher. She laugh, she'll see something laugh, I mean, just a gigantic laugh, and I'll look at it and go, that eh, deserves a chuckle. But I like that because I'll say something that I think deserves maybe a courtesy chuckle, and she will laugh and laugh and laugh, and I just think, you know, if I could get 10,000 people like her and put them in a stadium, I could be a stand-up comic. You know, I could travel, but they have to be like her. They have to find what I say, you know, incredibly funny. So she's a, a, a great laugher, and I think I was, had a point with that, but I don't know what it is, so we'll just move right on. Um, oh, I know what it was. I, I decided because you hear so much if you're sharing things with people about uh, the Lord and and especially if they ask you your opinion on something and you, say, and you share your opinion, if it's an opinion they don't like, you know, it's often you'll hear, hey, don't judge me, or you're not supposed to judge, and God said don't judge, and all that. So I just decided to teach a series on how to judge. You know, I think that's what the world needs, more judgy people. So I thought I would, I would uh, teach that. So we're going to touch on that. But I want to look at that first set of verses for the day. We looked at it about three weeks ago because... The truth is there's something called the whole counsel of God. And so you look at different things. You have to piece all that together. There's also something called the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. You know, for instance, uh, if somebody falls out in the middle of a, of a road and the sign said walk, but they obviously are in distress physically, and you start to go and the sign changes to don't walk, you know, do you go help the people? The letter of the law says you can't go help the person, you know, because the sign says don't walk. But the spirit of the laws keep you from getting run over, and if somebody needs help, you go help. And even the Old Testament laws had rules for those kind of things. So the whole counsel of God, let's see what the Bible says about judging. In 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 3, if any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? We're supposed to be able to judge things. Then it goes, or do you know that the Lord's people will judge the world? Wow, so Christians are supposed to one day judge the world. And it says, and if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that you will judge what? Angels. How much more the things of this life? So God calls us, and by the way, everybody judges all the time. The secret is, how can you do it in a way that's glorifying to God and not just glorifying to your own flesh or to your own personal preferences, but to God? And so we judge all the time. Now, somebody could look at that and say, well, you know, that's talking about judging, you know, trivial matters between people. It's not talking about the judgment. Like, sometimes people are judgy, like, uh, we want to judge people how they dress or what they do or how they talk or whatever. You know, that kind of critical judgment. That, by the way, is not scriptural. The Bible says that the things that come out of our mouth should edify and encourage and build up. And actually, correction, when done right, builds up, edifies, and encourages because you keep people from falling in a ditch and heading in the right direction. But when you think about even judging these kind of situations, think about the process that has to happen. If I'm going to judge a situation, or you are, first of all, you've got to have all the information, right? You've got to have all that information out in front of you. Then guess what else you have to have? You have to have, we'll just call it a rule book. You can't judge a situation and not know what's the rules. What's the code of conduct? What is the acceptable behavior? There's no way to judge something if there is no rule book. Now, for us believers, it's the word of God. Now, I do have to say, we have to be careful as believers with the word of God because we have the Hebrew scriptures that are an old covenant, and uh, 
Then we have the New Testament Christian scriptures where Jesus walks us into a new covenant. And so we have to decide as we study the word of God, this is why we should become disciples. We should learn the word of God. We have to decide what part of this, um, I think many years ago I heard it said this way, it made some sense. What part of this passed away at the cross? What part of this made it through the cross to the, the new covenant? And so we have to judge what is right and what is wrong. So we need a rule book. In our case, it'd be the Bible. If you were a judge in a, in, uh, a court system around this nation, it would be the U.S. laws of the land. That would be your, your rules that you would go by to judge a situation. And then guess what? Somewhere along the line, you're going to have to look at the situation. You're going to have to say, person A was wrong and person B was right. Or maybe some were half right, half wrong. You had to deal with all kinds of things but you're going to have to call somebody's behavior wrong. Now, no one likes being told they're wrong. I don't like being told you're wrong. You don't like being told you're wrong. No one likes being told they're wrong. But sometimes, guess what? We're wrong. And, and it's, it's actually kind for someone to tell you you're wrong. I use the illustration all the time. If I'm on a wrong road, going the wrong way, I don't care how right I think I am, I'd appreciate if somebody would tell me, you're wrong. I don't care how much you think the 65 South is going to take you to San Antonio. It's not going to do it. And so I, I need to be told I'm wrong and have enough humility to say yes and look at the map, the rule book, and find out the right way to get where I'm going. And so all this will decide judging who's right, who's wrong, what rules apply? How does this work? And in the essence, you're judging. And so today we're going to talk about um, how to judge part two. We're going to look at how to judge part two and look at some more things out of the scripture that teach us the proper way to judge. Now, when you begin talking with people, sharing with people, uh, there will come a point somewhere where somebody will tell you, don't judge. You're not supposed to judge. Only God's the judge. I do want to say this. God's the ultimate judge. I got that. Even our best intentions we could judge inappropriately or wrongly, but we should find out if we're supposed to judge the world and judge angels, we at least ought to be able to judge trivial matters and know what's right and what's wrong. So people have told me over the years, Jesus never judged. I just want to say this. That's 100% not true. Just want you to, not 99.9% not true, that's 100% not true to say Jesus never judged. And then I'll have people say, well, Jesus never pushed or opposed or pressed his viewpoints on anyone. 100% not true. Just read the Gospels. The first four books in the Christian scriptures, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find Jesus judging everywhere all the time and imposing his beliefs upon people. The whole Sermon on the Mount is all about the Beatitudes. They're about, here's the wrong way to do things, and here's the right way to do things. And now, did he force people to do it? No. But he is saying, here's how to live right, and here's how to live wrong. And he's encouraging people to live right. So, Jesus was judging all the time. And I want to say this. Jesus was not judging as a hateful, condemning person, but he was judging. I sometimes say Jesus was kind and compassionate in his judgment, but that's not always true, at least from our perspective. And I mentioned, when he, when he looks at self-righteous Pharisees and says, you're of your father the devil, that's not sweet. That's not kind. That's not loving. If anybody looked at you and said, you're of the devil, you would go, oh, that just was like a warm fuzzy. Thank you so much for that. No, you would, you would say, wow, that was kind of harsh. 
And he would say stuff like, hey guys, just see these scribes and Pharisees here? Unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you'll no wise make it to heaven. What was he saying? They're not going, and if you follow their path, you're not going to go. And he was very forthright about what was right and what was wrong. Now, if you believe there is a heaven to gain, this is what the old-time preachers used to say, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, then wouldn't you want to keep someone from going to hell? And wouldn't you want to tell them the truth? Jesus was very narrow and wide at the same time because Jesus said, I'm the only way to heaven. Very narrow. But it was wide because he says, I'm inviting everybody in. Anyone who comes to me. I invite anyone, anyone in. So we want to look at Jesus' life and how he did things. And this is John chapter 8. And see what we can learn from, from Jesus out of John 8. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him Jesus, a woman caught in adultery. And they had, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Jesus again, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, this is funny, weird, odd, crazy. And maybe I don't understand everything, because I am kind of naive and I'm kind of prudish, but I thought it took two people to commit adultery. That's just what I thought. Um, the woman's the only one they bring to Jesus. Did you notice that? The, the guy didn't get brought to Jesus. And I thought, well, maybe he's a fast runner. I don't know. Maybe he got out of there. I'm not sure what happened. But the woman gets brought, caught in the very act. This is just my weird mind again. What are you doing, busting in people's bedrooms? I'm not sure what's going on, but here they're, they're caught in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Now the whole goal was to trap him. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up, says he was knelt down. He raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Then they who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman, woman standing in, her midst, in his midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's a beautiful story of the heart and compassion and love and, and uh, grace of Jesus. Because I do want to say something about this. We see this clearly when we see the whole counsel of God that Jesus did not come to condemn. Now, it doesn't mean they didn't come to tell you what was right or wrong, but he did not come to condemn. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, whoever so believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so Jesus deals very pointedly with this situation, but not in a spirit of condemnation. So what, what do we learn from this? We learned some lessons these are, Jesus did some things that when you share your faith and, 
and share with people, and they say, don't judge, Jesus never judged, Jesus never opposed his beliefs. He violates both of them right here, and he does every time he deals with an issue. He judged what she was doing as sin. Can we all agree with that? He called this sin. He said, you're sinning. And he imposed or instructed or whatever terminology you want to use and told her to stop sinning. Go and sin no more. Some translations say, go leave your life of sin. Obviously, it was implied that she should quit committing adultery. It's also implied that apparently this was a habit because some, some translations say, your life of sin. You're, you're living a, an adulterous lifestyle. So Jesus called adultery sin. He judged it as sin. And he told her to stop sinning. Change the way you're living. Change what you're doing. The, the goal is, is you want to bring life to people. That's the goal. You want to bring life to people. And so when we judge, it should be life-giving. And it should be compassionate. And, and sometimes Jesus, with the self-righteous, was very harsh to them to try to shake them out of their self-righteousness. But the goal was compassion and love. I think I mentioned it a week or two ago. Jesus stood over Jerusalem in his triumphant entry and the Bible says he stopped along the way and he looked out and he said, you who stoned the prophets, you who murder and kill those who bring you a message of hope. He said, and the Bible says he wept over Jerusalem. And he said, how I've longed to gather you under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. So there was compassion and kindness, even though to the casual observer, it would seem like, like Jesus was pretty harsh and pretty at it. Now, I don't know if you've ever read this story, but one time Jesus goes to the temple, and it's his father's house, and it should be a house of, does anybody remember? It should be a house of prayer, and he finds them selling all kinds of stuff. I don't have time to teach them. Part of, part of what they were doing was, abs, was needed for temple worship. They had to exchange Roman coinage for for Jewish coinage, because Jews wouldn't allow, you know, a symbol of Caesar, an idol to go in. So some, some of what they were doing is okay, but a lot of it apparently wasn't. And Jesus actually made a whip and threw over tables and drove people out. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like pretty, pretty focused, pretty judgmental, and pretty hard at it. Uh, but his heart was always love and compassion. So I, I'm going to let you on a little secret as it pertains to people telling you not to judge them. What that actually means is don't judge me and my behavior. Don't judge me and my behavior. So the scripture talks about all kinds of things that we can decide what's right behavior and wrong behavior. In this particular story, there's uh, adultery going on, a, a sexual sin going on. And there's lots of sexual sins. You can read them in scripture. Adultery fornication, homosexuality, pedophilia, bestiality. There's probably more that I didn't even mention there. And this is a little insight after decades of, of teaching the Word of God and sharing with people the principles of the Bible. When people say, don't judge me, they are meaning that exactly. Don't judge me and my behavior. And since we are human beings, we naturally judge situations. It's very natural. Now, even if I don't want you to judge me, I have no problem judging you. That's, that's the, now, I'm not 
picking on any one person. I'm picking on me, you, all of us. That's the human nature. Don't judge me. I'll be happy to judge everybody in my, uh, you know, my view. Uh, people actually sit in malls just to judge people. You know, it's, it's a pastime. You sit there and go, oh, my goodness. What's she doing with him? You know, oh, my goodness. What, what, what's he wearing? Oh, who, who let her out of the house with that outfit on? You know, you just, you're just, you're just, it's a pastime just to kind of judge people. Uh, people judge people all the time. So, it's normal human conduct for all of us. It doesn't mean it's right, and there's a, a way to do it rightly. So here's how it works. If you commit fornication, now, if you have your children with, with uh, you today, uh, they're going to have lots of questions afterwards, okay? <laughs> Don't send them to me, okay? Um, so if you commit fornication, which is two single people, not married people, having sex, I just want you to notice in our culture, no one pretty much even cares, just so, so you know that. E- even in the church, we're so hardened to the concept of fornication that you can tell faithful churchgoers, oh my gosh, you guys are dating and fornicating, you should not be doing that, and even church people will tell you, you shouldn't judge me. Well, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It's so prevalent. You and I probably watch it on TV over and over and over, fornication all the time. We don't even think about it anymore. It's so prevalent that we're hardened to it. But I do want to ask this, seriously, does that make it okay? I mean, since we're hard to... Well, what if you said, well, it's so commonplace, and I've done it a hundred times, and I'm a good person, does it still make it okay? No, it doesn't make it okay. It violates the word of God. So, now, I won't want you to judge me, but I'll have no problem judging others. For instance, if somebody, the person who told me, hey, why would you judge me? By the way, I just want you to know, I don't go meddling in nobody's business. But over the years, that stuff has come my way where I had to say, this is what the word of God teaches. So, I don't ask dating people, so, are you staying sexually pure? I don't ask that question. I just kind of, don't, don't tell me anything. I just want to, you know. Uh, so anyway, but those same people who would say, don't judge me, if they found out their beloved parents, that one of them was having an affair, a continuous affair, on the other parent, they would probably come to me and say, you need to talk to my parents. This is wrong. Dad or mom's having an affair. This is not right. You need to talk to them. You need to see if you can set up counseling with them. They would never come to me and say, hey, you know, my parents are having affairs all the time, and, you know, I don't judge them. You know, that's okay. No, this is our parents now. They need to know how to behave. And, of course, parents think the kids need to know how to behave, and the kids think the parents need to know how to behave. But, you know, it would be very easy for them to judge mom or dad as behavior being sinful and wrong and it needs to cease and desist immediately. Hmm. Let, let's say you're gay and you're living a gay lifestyle. You would say, because i got gay friends, they, they, and they tell me, don't judge me. But those same people who say, don't judge me, Jesus never judged anybody, if they heard about a 40-year-old man having a sexual relationship with a 14-year-old girl, they will say to me, that's wrong. That needs to cease and desist immediately. That, that's, 
That's unacceptable. Why? Because everybody has a moral code of conduct. Now, anytime we do something wrong, it's totally explainable. I'm talking to me and you too, you know. Don't look so innocent. I'm talking to all of us here. You'll talk to people, and they may say off the subject of the sexual thing. You talk to people, and they say, casual conversation. They start telling you how they're helping themselves to materials at the workplace. Otherwise known as stealing. They're stealing tools or office supplies or whatever. And if you would say, gosh, you know, that, that's not right. Well, don't judge me. You don't understand. That company ought to pay me twice what I'm making. Now, if the company should pay them twice what they're making, does that make it okay then for them to steal us all? No. Well, I've done so many good things for them. I've, I, I instituted a procedure to save this company $100,000, and they didn't even give me a, you know, a subway certificate, you know. So I, I feel free to do this or do that. Is it okay then to steal? No. There's, but we will all understand why we're doing it. So anytime I have a problem, it's all understandable why I have it, but it's not understandable why you have it. So we, we tend to judge, and we'll get to how to do this, do this better, but everybody's got the don't judge me and my behavior, but it's okay. Oh, by the way, the, 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 the party gets a little bigger. It's don't judge me and my behavior, or the people I love. You got that? I mean, because when we love people, we will excuse their behavior. That's why you'll find, uh, you know, some criminal who's guilty of the most heinous crimes you can imagine, and mama will say, he's really a good kid on the inside. Why? Because she loves him. Doesn't want to judge that. So, when we're judging things, I also want us to, and I want to say this, I'm going to stress it again later, I don't want you to go out being the judge police this week. I just want to say, when the situation arises for you to judge something, let's learn how to do it scripturally and biblically and Christ-like. I don't want, I'm not sending you on mission this week to go meddle in everybody's affairs. What's going on here? I think I'll judge this. Oh my goodness, why are you doing that? No. But it'll come to you on occasion, and I want you to know how to do it rightly. But also, social media throws all kinds of stuff at us. And so we see all this stuff. I, I used to try to respond to stuff on occasion, but had two problems with it. First of all, you can't really respond rightly in little blurbs of text, okay? And then also, most of the people who read what you said don't even know what your heart is, so they immediately think you're a monster. And then it just gets all out of hand. And the other thing is, it's way too much work. You know, I start looking and go, oh gosh, now I've got to reply to four people. You know, it's way too much work to do. And it doesn't work very well anyway, but relationships and conversations work, but I found out social media stuff doesn't work very well, and you can do what you want, but it, it's very hard to have an intelligent conversation with somebody through little blurbs on social media and all the friends siding on both sides, you know, beating everybody up. But also when information comes, there's stuff that I need you to learn how to judge information as it comes. I'm going to read to you one that... I've seen two or three times on social media, so I'll read this one to you. You may have seen this. When you see stuff like this, learn how to judge it. Here it is. A man went to church. He forgot to silence his phone, and his phone rang during prayer. The pastor scolded him. The worshipers admonished him after prayers. 
for interrupting the silence. His wife kept lecturing him on his carelessness all the way home. One could see the shame, embarrassment, and humiliation on his face. After all this, he never stepped foot in the church again. And that evening, he went to the bar. He was still nervous and trembling. He spilled his drink on the table by accident. The waiter apologized and gave him a napkin to clean himself. The janitor mopped the floor. The female manager offered him a complimentary drink. She also gave him a hug and a peck while saying, Don't worry, man. Who doesn't make mistakes? He has never stopped going to that bar since. A couple things. First of all, the only thing I get out of that is, do not let the bar outlove the church. Okay, I get that. That's wrong. But then I see the responses to all this, and responses are like, yeah, that's the problem with the church, and Christians are all a bunch of hypocritical monsters, and blah, blah, blah. I'm going, really? First of all, there's probably a cell phone that goes off here two to three times a month, and I don't think anyone has followed this. Have you ever, now, now I'm not saying something like this hasn't happened on rare occasion, but the post makes it seem like this is normal church life, and this is normal bar life. Now, some of you I know have been in bars, and I don't know if they were this nice of a bar, but do you notice everyone in church is a monster? The pastor scolds. But not only that, the worshipers. Can you imagine somebody's phone going, somebody's phone's probably going to go off before the service is out, and you're going to go, thanks a lot, you know. And, and not only is the pastor going to scold him, but after prayer, all the church people took time to go over and read him the riot act. And then his wife did too. And the bar, such a wonderful place. The bar was so kind and so loving. He's still nervous when he gets to the bar. He's still thinking about his phone going off. I doubt it, but anyway, he spills his drink. The janitor, janitor's happy to go. You ever seen a janitor happy to go clean up a mess? But this one is. This one's happy. They give him a complimentary drink. And apparently, she's never met the guy, but she's going to give him a hug and greet him with a holy kiss and let him know that People mess up, man. This is okay. Oh, first of all, I want you to, when you see stuff like that, I have no problem with us saying, okay, we should never get out loved by the world. Absolutely. But would you please not get riled up with, I'm going to respond to this. Christians, you need to behave yourself and start blah, blah, blah. Okay. There, I don't know any situations like this that ever happen. So learn how to judge things. Another thing, this is a, that was a fictitious one. There's a true one that I, I saw not real long time ago. Somebody I knew posted that they were, when they were younger, they were a young Christian, and they, this true story, and they were uh, with a Christian family and the patriarch, a senior citizen of the family who loved the Lord and was considered to be, you know, a man of God. The person posting it does something that anyone, I'd say 100% of us in this building right now would say it was not a big deal what this person did. But then the patriarch, elderly Christian man calls her out on it and scolds her for it. And then later, he, out of his mouth comes a nasty racial slur, and he just goes, yeah, you know, that's the way we used to talk when I was younger. And if we judge the thing, we would say his was a gazillion times worse than hers, and so she feels beat up by a guy who's got his own issues that needs to deal with, and so... The, the whole point of it wasn't what ended up happening, but what ended up happening is the feed that starts going through there's this is the problem with Christians. Christians are all hypocrites. Christians are all self-righteous. Christians are unchristian. You know, they never blah, 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 blah. And I thought, and, and one of them actually said this, 
Jesus never judged. Uh, he never opposed his beliefs on others. And you look at that and you say, that was the most judgy thread I'd ever read. For trying to prove, and not the person who posted it, that wasn't their heart, but the, the responses were all judgmental. Now think about this. If Jesus never judged, which is not true, if he never imposed his beliefs, which is not true, but let's just say for a minute it is, then he would never judge us for being judgmental. That seems like it's just logical if he would never judge anybody. Well, he'll judge nothing but judgmental people, but it gets back to this. Don't judge me in my behavior, but I will judge you in your behavior. So, what do we do as believers? How do we handle this? You're judging stuff all the time. How can you do it in a way that glorifies God and helps people? And one other thing I found. I was trying to have a conversation online years ago until I figured out it doesn't work well. And it was on the story of the, we looked at about the log in your eye and a speck in someone else's eye. And it, it, the whole thread was, you know, Christians are awful and Christians are this. I said, isn't it possible that there might be one Christian out there somewhere who actually really does want to help someone? That really does want to be kind and compassionate? Really does have a fatherly or motherly or friend heart to help someone? I say, yes, it is. That's very possible. And so we need to say, how can I do, do this in a way that brings glory to God? So, let's look at some things. Here's some biblical judging guidelines. Again, we look at the whole counsel of God. The first thing I want to talk about is loving judgment versus judgmental condemnation. It is different if you have an opportunity and a relationship and the situation arises to say, this is really the way to do life best according to the scriptures. And so I encourage you to do this, not what you're doing. And you can have loving, compassionate, kind uh, judgment versus a critical, judgmental spirit. And we have all seen that and probably experienced it where people don't. Well, I'll give you an example. Um, our beloved Larry Schreier, who went on to be with the Lord a few years ago, he was a roadie for the gospel group, the Christian Cavaliers. Love the Christian Cavaliers. Anybody remember the Christian Cavaliers? Okay. Christian Cavaliers. So he would, he would help carry in their stuff. And they got one day to a church, and they were in the back row while the preaching was going on. And the preacher was up there and decided to preach on hair length. Now, this was the 70s, so although none of them were, you know, had hair down their back, they probably had hair halfway down the years. Remember that? Remember the 70s look? A little longer hair? And so the preacher gets up there and starts preaching on the topic of godly hair length. Now, that's a judgmental, critical thing because you can't find, if I can find a scripture where God says, this is the perfect hair length for a man, it should never be longer than this, well, I would share that with you, but it's not in there. And so finally, uh, he's amping this up. Of course, they all know they're talking. They're the only ones in the church with long hair. Everybody's got short hair. And then finally he says, do you want to know how long is too long? If it's longer than this. And he pointed to his own head. And I thought, okay, now that falls under category of condemning, judgmental, critical, judging with no biblical reference at all. So we want to stay away from that, okay? But I do want to tell you if you tell somebody they're doing wrong in the most kind, compassionate, loving way, 
I'm going to guess half of them are still going to think you're judgy and critical. Okay, so but beware. The second thing I want to challenge us in, which would really help us out a whole lot, is we would regularly judge ourselves. The scripture says, and there's little scriptures by most of these, all except for the first one. The scripture says, judge yourself and you won't come under judgment. And so we should judge ourselves. One warning, some Christians are really wonderful at judging themselves to a point of shame and condemnation, and the devil jumps in on that. You might as well quit. You know, you're never going to make it. You're awful. I can't believe God even loves you. He probably doesn't, and you just feel like I judge myself, and, and it was awful. No, there's such things as mature judgment where you look at your life. Remember the, the psalmist, David, I think it was David, that said, said Lord, test, test the reins of my heart. Try them. See if there's any unclean thing within me. And why was he doing that? Because I want to live right before God. And so he had a passion to clean up anything in his life that didn't glorify God. But he didn't beat himself up. He didn't say he was good for nothing. He didn't say he's a warm. He just went ahead and said, I want to change. So we can look at our lives and find things that need to change. It's back to the, you got a log in your eye, they got a speck in their eye. We got to be examining ourselves and removing the log out of our eye so we can help our brother or sister with the speck. So regularly judge yourself. If you do that, you will realize you know, we all need some compassion and some help and some kindness and some love. The third thing, let God's word be your truth. Let God's word be your truth. The culture is always trying to shape how the world works. And by the way, that's again, normal. See, we have a culture in this church and we want to shape how this church, how we think, how the, what the word of God says, what we're taught, what what the scriptures say, you should always, you don't have to take anything I say at face value, you can check out the scriptures to see if it's true. Paul said there's a group of people in Berea that did that that were more noble than all the rest, for they sought the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was teaching was true. That's good, I encourage that. But the word of God becomes your truth. Otherwise, what the culture is doing becomes the truth. Again, as I said earlier, fornicating is so prevalent on everything, everywhere, that nobody even thinks about it. There was a day when I started pastoring that if two people were living together and they come and filled out a, a marriage certificate, they would at least have the dignity to lie on it and put two separate addresses. Okay. I'm not saying that's really the right thing to do, but that, that would be done. Nowadays, I'll be looking, I'll be doing some premarital thing. I'll say, I, I noticed you guys both have the same address here. Are you guys living together? And they'll say, ah, is, is that a problem? And I'll say, well, let's talk about it. And, uh, and I tell them the best way to do things. So, it, it's also, remember there was a movie years ago that they wanted to put one cuss word in, just one, and the Christian community fought it. And, of course, they got beat up by, oh, gosh, you guys are so prudish, holier than thou, self-righteous people. It's a cuss word you've all heard. You probably all said it. So let's not worry about it. And it was gone with the wind. It was the first public cuss word. Now I want to ask a question. They said, it's just one word. It won't make a difference. It's not going to change anything. Don't get up in arms. Let me ask you this. Did it change things? I turned on a cartoon last night, and they were cussing. I didn't know what it was. I saw this thing, and I clicked on it. It says, it's a little cartoon. They said the F word. Gosh, I made you all think of the F word. I'm sorry. Uh, they, they, but it was a cartoon. I'm going, oh my goodness, what, what 
what's going on here? It's just one cuss word. What do you think? Well, the, the whole goal is, and I don't know if there's a, a goal by Hollywood or by the culture, but I will say this. I mean this sincerely. There is a goal by the devil. There is a goal by the devil. He's the enemy of our souls. And pretty soon, and you'll start notice it, start watching TV, and you already know there's other agendas that just are getting promoted, so we can all get super comfortable with all that, just like we are with fornication. You know, nobody even thinks about that, because it, it, we begin to see this as normal. So the Word of God has to be our truth. The Word of God has to be real. The Word of God that corrects, instructs, and rebukes, and does, and encourages, all those things, that needs to become our standard. So, you've got to have a real book if you're going to judge something. Now, the next thing, number four. This is actually in the Bible. Don't be a meddler. Don't be a busybody. 1 Peter 4.15. You're not on assignment this week to go infiltrate everybody's private life and try to figure out where they're not living up to your standards. Okay? So don't. It's going to come across on occasion where you have to judge. You should not have to do this regularly. And when you do so, you should do it loving, compassionately, kindly, and with the word as your guide. And when you're done, if people don't want to hear what you have to say, that's fine. Just say, as a believer, I just told you what the scriptures teach. You know, you're obviously an adult. You can go do whatever you want, but this is what the scriptures teach. And then the next thing is we operate in love. Jesus told us that in Matthew 22, 39. And James, the brother of Jesus, writes it in my way of saying it. He says, if you do the royal law of love, love your neighbor like you love yourself. You do well. And then the sixth thing is call upon the Holy Spirit to intervene. The Holy Spirit actually has a mission. The Holy Spirit, it says, he's to convict men, mean human beings, he's to convict people of sin and righteousness and judgment. It's much better if you'll pray for people and allow the Holy Spirit to deal with their lives because if they start feeling like, I need to change some things, they're much more likely to change them. If you just think, I'm going to browbeat them into changing things, I can tell you what, I raised three kids. Browbeating people into changing things don't work for nothing. I can tell you that right now. I, it just doesn't work. Now, should you give guidance? Should you give counsel? Should you give instruction? Should you give, as a parent, you know, punishments at times? Absolutely, but I am telling you this. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of someone's heart, there's real change around the corner. And so I encourage us. A lot less meddling and busybodying and more praying. Darlene will, over the years, has said, we need to do something. And if I don't want to do it, here's, here's the pattern. By the way, this is not a good pattern. This is not the way things should work. I'm going to tell you how things work between guys and gals sometimes. The gal tells the guy, we need to change this and do something different. The guy says, I don't want to change things and do something different. And then he starts thinking about it, and he says, I think she's probably right. But I can't let her know that, okay? But I think she's probably right. So what the guy does, I'm dead serious about this. This is not good. I'm just telling you how life really works. So the guy said, you know, I think she's right. I need to change. So I'm going to move towards change. But I've got to put a little gap between where she told me and when I change, because it can't be her idea. It has to be mine. The mistake you women make is about the time I'm about to change, she brings it up again. Well, now I have to start the cycle all over again. I have to go back here 
and I had to put some space between there and put some space between there until now I can do it of I wanting to do it, not her telling me to do it. That's why it's so important to pray that the Holy Spirit do that because people make changes internally uh, being motivated by the Lord. So finally, she learned early on, she said, I'm not going to bug him about this. I'm going to bug God about it. And guess what would happen when she would bug God about it? I would change. Not that I ever needed to, but you know what I'm saying, that I would, I would, I would adjust something, very minute things, of course, uh, and it would change. Why? Because this internal thing in us is always what God's probing at, the internal thing. So before you decide to go be a busybody and tell everybody how they ought to live and give them your opinion, especially if they're not asking and wanting it, then just pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to intervene. It's his assignment from Jesus to convict people of sin and to convict people of righteousness and to convict people of judgment. And so then all of a sudden we go, well, I need to do life differently. Ah, maybe 20 people told you that, but once the Holy Spirit tells you that, things begin to change. So there's some, our advice for how to judge in a way that will honor Jesus, hopefully help people's lives and not hurt them, and advance the kingdom in the world and in people's individual lives. Let's pray together. Father, we...